If you're a guest with us today, we have been for a while studying the Holy Spirit on Sunday mornings. And there's a little bit of a danger in this. You might think, well, how can preaching be dangerous? Preaching isn't necessarily a dangerous activity. And when I grew up in Oregon and people were setting chokers on big logs and uh, then having those logs drug out of the forest right next to them and the logs sometimes rolled over the top of them, that was dangerous work. Preaching is not quite as dangerous. But looking at the Holy Spirit is a bit dangerous for a couple of reasons. And hopefully you've got an outline. So I want you to look at your outline. If you don't have an outline, raise your hand. Okay? And Bud's got some here that he's handing out. Raise your hand again if you didn't get one. Okay, we've got several here. Some right in there. But I see Ann, Ann right there in front of you. And then Robin said she needs one. Anybody else still? In the back, Lindsay back there. Here's one problem on your outline when it says uh, in terms of dangerous things having to do with the Holy Spirit. One is when we're experiencing, when, I, when what we're experiencing in the Holy Spirit runs ahead of our knowledge. Knowledge is the blank there. It's, it's like going out and buying all the best hockey equipment, the most expensive stick, the very best helmet, the best skates, you join a talented team and you're ready to be a 50-goal scorer because you've got everything in place. But you get out on the ice and you don't know how to skate and you don't know which end of the stick to hold and you don't know that a puck is supposed to go into the net. That's a problem. You can have all the equipment. Everything looks like it's in place. And you may have lots of activity going on. You may be re- really busy about what you're doing. All the external signs are there. But there are some basics that are missing. And that prevents the whole effort from going anywhere. That sometimes happens. You get everything in line. You think it's just perfect. But you don't have the basic skills. That's one problem. The second danger with the Holy Spirit is this. It's when our knowledge about the Holy Spirit runs ahead of our experiencing of the Spirit. Almost the converse of point one. In this case, we're like the hockey player who practices and practices and knows everything there is to know about his position, trains his body, gets in fantastic shape, but when his shift is called to get into the game, he decides not to leave the bench. And in this case, we understand things, and with reference to the spirit, it's like we understand that we're a tree, but we produce no fruit. We've got some intellectual understanding there, but nothing really happens. Understanding the Spirit must not be just understanding. If it is, then we don't understand the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you get that? If all it is is just understanding, then you really don't understand what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your life. Well, much of our study of the Holy Spirit, I think, is uh, spent preventing the second problem. But this morning, we're going to focus on the first Today, we're going to work a bit in terms of the first of these dangers. It's kind of like Holy Spirit 101. Experiencing the Holy Spirit without knowing something about him is dangerous. It's like grabbing a fire hose 
and someone turns it on and you're holding the hose, but you don't have a clue about how to hold that hose. Can't you imagine? Fire hoses are powerful. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those in action, but they're powerful. You have to know a little bit about holding a fire hose in order to know what to do with it and so that it doesn't kill somebody. But that's what it's like dealing with the Holy Spirit when we don't really have the understanding. So we need to understand some things as we grab on to that hose. I remember when Rob and I were on our honeymoon. She had not been feeling well. She, she had the flu. And so we, uh, you know, we were wanting to get out and do some things and experience our new life together. And so after a couple of days, when she was feeling a little bit better, we finally decided that we would go horseback riding. We were at a, staying at a resort in the mountains in Oregon. It was a beautiful place. We need to go back there someday, dear. It was gorgeous. And uh, so we thought, well, we'll go horseback riding. And so we paid for that, and we got our horses all set up and got on our horses. And it was about a three-hour ride or so. The problem was is that my wife had never been on a horse in her life probably, or at least very little, and I didn't know very much either. So she got on this horse, and her stirrups were too long. But she was probably a little shy, probably not feeling that well, doesn't want to say anything to anybody about the fact that her stirrups are too long. And so she can just barely get her feet into the stirrups. And we go on a three-hour ride with her stirrups being too long. Now what that means, for those of you who don't ride horses, is that there's no way for her to lift herself off of the saddle. Like one of the, one of the things that stirrups do is that you put your feet in stirrups and then you can kind of stand up and lift yourself off the saddle when you need to so that you're not constantly going like this on the saddle. And if the horse begins to trot and your stirrups are too long, then you know what's going to happen is that your bottom is going to be hitting that saddle just like that. And in Robin's case, she had three hours of that. Bang, 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 bang for three hours. So when we got done, this is not an exaggeration. She was extremely sore. She had been through the mill. Like It was a difficult ride, very hard for her. And it's because she didn't really understand anything about horses and stirrups and the way things are supposed to work. And so there are some things that you're supposed to understand before you get into the activity, before you start applying what it is that you're applying. Otherwise, it could come back later and bite you. In her case, that's exactly what happened. And I think it's true of the Holy Spirit. There are some things that you need to learn. Like I'm so blessed by God's presence within us through the Spirit, but I'm also grateful that the Word teaches us some things about the Spirit that we have a chance to learn and understand and even know how to apply the Spirit's work in our lives. And if we don't, that can be trouble. Now we have another problem right from the outset. This is on your outline, I believe. Biblical language about the Holy Spirit can be a bit fuzzy or describes things foreign to our experience. And what I mean are some things like this. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. I think I asked you to have your Bibles open there. Look at this passage. It just says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now that's an interesting line. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And in some sense, I suppose I can tell you what that I think that means, but there's another sense in which that remains very fuzzy in my mind. What does that mean? Like, I don't 
get the whole picture of creation at the beginning, very hard to, to nail down what's being experienced there. But then to say that the Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the waters, I don't get it. That leaves the Spirit a little bit fuzzy in my mind. Now I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And I want you to read these words with me. Beginning with verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised, Jesus is saying, at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So if, if you are looking for some solid words that would really nail down the spirit so that you can get it intellectually, you just ran into trouble. Because this verse specifically says that the spirit kind of blows wherever he will. That there is something a little bit fuzzy about the Holy Spirit in the way that he works in the life of the Christian. And we have a hard time getting a handle on that. And it sounds to me like that is in fact the nature of the Holy Spirit. Turn to John chapter 20. Now, just, I just want to read verse 22. I find this verse remarkable, and honestly, I don't really know what to do with it. Verse 22 says, And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus talking about, talking or blowing, I should say, on the apostles, and then received the Holy Spirit. He says that to the apostles. That's an interesting line as well. Now, we know that the Hebrew word for breath is the same word for spirit, ruach. And so the Holy Spirit is described throughout the Old Testament using that word, that word for breath. We also know that the Greek word, panalma, is also the word for breath or wind. In fact, that's why in John chapter 3, when it was talking about the wind blowing here and there, it's using the same word for spirit and wind there. But to put the Holy Spirit in Scripture as described as wind or breath, and then to breathe on them the Holy Spirit, leaves a bit of a mystery for us when it comes to talking about the Holy Spirit. And then listen to these words. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Wow! That's another kind of strange passage. What does it mean to be looking at a group of people and all of a sudden tongues of fire, whatever that is, appears above them and then rests on them and they start speaking languages that they otherwise wouldn't know? Well, my point is that when I look at the Spirit in the Scriptures, there's an awful lot that just seems fuzzy to me. There's an awful lot that just isn't really clarified. The Spirit isn't nailed down in terms of his activity, and it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me because God himself isn't always nailed down for me. It doesn't surprise me that God would leave himself a bit of a mystery. It doesn't surprise me that his Holy Spirit would be a bit of a mystery for us, and we'd have to wrestle with that and exactly what that means. So what we do, of course, is we go through Scripture. We try and find out what it is that Scripture is saying to us about who the Holy Spirit is. Notice I said who. That's an important word. 
So let's then clear up some fuzziness and get some of the basic knowledge that we need about the Holy Spirit. If you look at your outline there, the next major section is on his personhood. And I want to show you three things. The first one there, and you can see the outline, the Holy Spirit possesses personhood rather than nebulous, undefined spirituality. He is not just an influence. The Holy Spirit possesses personhood rather than nebulous, undefined spirituality. He's not just an influence. You, you should hopefully can see the blanks there. And, and let me illustrate this. I can show this, I think, pretty easily. Curtis, could you come up here for a sec? And the first thing I'd like you to do is just go over and plug this in to the wall right over there. Okay? There you go. Here, you can take that. Thanks, sir. Right there. And hopefully, this should work now. It does. Perfect. Raymond? Okay. Curtis, if you come here for a sec... Chris, would you and Bruce, if you guys would turn off some of the lights, I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, Maybe some more, maybe some more, maybe some more, maybe some more. About there. Okay. In terms of the Spirit's influence and personhood, you're perfect. You can stand right there. Okay? When I shine this light, one of the things that happens... besides blinding Curtis, is that you can look and there are two different Curtises that you see. Is that not the case? Is there anybody who doesn't see two Curtises? Okay. Like you look at, and on the one hand, there's this Curtis right there, right? But then there's another Curtis, which I can't really show you by pointing on the wall. I can show him over there. Oh, he moved. Oh, there's a, there's a, There's a Curtis back there somewhere, and I try and find him, and I can't really find him. But he looks an awful lot like Curtis. In fact, yeah, that's it. Turn away, then you're not blinded. Wave your arm out, Curtis. Ah, it's your hand that we see on the wall. (laughs) However, if we're going to talk about what Curtis really is, there's a huge difference between the Curtis who stands here in multicolor and the Curtis who is very elusive on the wall, forming a shadow. In fact, if I'm going to refer to one and not the other, I can take this Curtis, and if somebody was going to use like a third-person pronoun for this one, somebody would say, this is a he. But if I was going to talk about that one up there, nobody would say, if I said, describe for me that black thing up on the wall that's waving at me right now, nobody would say, well, that's a he. Everybody would say that it is what? It's an it, okay? He's a he, but that's an it. I've had people, thanks, Chris, you can turn the lights back on. Thank you very much, Curtis. I've had people explain to me sometimes that the Holy Spirit is like the shadow of God. It's like the exact representation of God flashed on the wall, and all you really see is his shadow. And I want to say... No, no, that's not right at all. Like when it comes to talking about the Holy Spirit of God, we're not talking about merely a shadow that we would describe as an it. We instead are talking about the real deal. We're talking about someone that we would describe not as an it, but someone as a he. 
And so the Holy Spirit possesses personhood rather than nebulous, undefined spirituality. He's not just an influence. He is, in fact, a he. And that's one of the reasons that John, in his gospel, will repeatedly use the masculine pronoun for the person of the Spirit. This is interesting because, you remember a few minutes ago I told you that the word for spirit is panauma in Greek, which means the same thing as wind? Well, that word, in its basic root form, is in the neuter gender. So in other words, it's not male or female, it's neuter. But when John goes to describe that spirit in his gospel, most often he describes the spirit not in the neuter when he uses the pronoun, but he instead changes that to the masculine and says he. And it's a specific move on the gospel of John's part, on John's part, to say that this is a he, not an it, when it's talking about the Holy Spirit. So in John 14, 26, I think this is the New King James or something, says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. So we're not talking here about a shadow. We're not talking about something nebulous. We're not talking about something we can't understand. We're talking about a spirit. In fact, the spirit throughout Scripture does things that a person does. And so we find the spirit is one who hears. The spirit speaks. The spirit witnesses. The spirit convinces and glorifies Christ. The spirit leads and guides and teaches and commands. The spirit forbids and he desires. He helps. He gives life. He intercedes in the lives of Christians, bearing to God the things that are on their hearts. He can be lied to. He can be grieved. You can't grieve the shadow that's on the wall. But could I grieve Curtis? Easily. And you can grieve the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is not a shadow. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, number two on your outline there. In addition to the Spirit having this personhood, he is also divine. Part of the Trinity. And is the Spirit of both God and Christ. And so is not independent. And that's important to get when you think about the Holy Spirit. His ministry in our lives and in the life of the church is the ministry of God. It's the ministry of Christ. The Spirit doesn't act on his own. And we need to recognize that he is part of the Spirit doing or part of the Trinity doing the Trinity's work in the world. This passage from 2 Corinthians 3:18 says that we are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When it says it comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, it's saying it comes from Jesus, who is the Spirit. And while I don't want to just mix them up as if they're exactly the same thing, as if there's no distinction among them, there is at the same time this incredible unity within the Trinity with the Spirit being part of that Trinity. And so he is a person, and he's a very special person who carries with him the same nature as the Father and the son. Number three, as a person, that means at least three things. It means he is here. That's the first blank. It means he is active and he is relational. He's here, he's active, and he is relational. Which means for us, Number four, that he is with us as a person 
even if we don't see, hear, or touch him. And this seems on the one hand so basic, but it's something that we've got to come to grips with. Like I'm convinced that in our churches, if we're ever going to get the Holy Spirit right, with reference to his ministry in our lives and within the churches, we have to think in terms of the Spirit being this person who is really there. And most of the time, I think you probably admit this, most of the time we think in terms of the Spirit being this kind of nebulous force, the shadow on the wall that we don't really understand. But he's not that. He has personhood and specific influences in our lives as a person. And I can't see him. I can't touch him. But he is there and he influences my life. So we need to be open to that. I can remember uh, following my kids around on Halloween. You know, after they got old enough that they came to me and said, Dad, it's uncool to have your parents following you around as you go from house to house. We want to go with our friends. We want to do this on our own. Please stay home and don't go with us. And so Rob and I decided, because we're very sly, that indeed we could let them go by themselves, but that I would lurk in the darkness. (laughs) And so we let them go, but I followed them around after they left the house. In fact, I think I even put on dark clothing so they wouldn't be able to see me standing in the shadows. And I followed them around. Now, on the one hand, you think, did he really do that? And did he really have any impact on them when they were out there? Well, in some sense, I didn't. But that's because they didn't know I was there. I was there waiting and lurking and wanting to help them if they needed help. If some evil person would have done something to one of my kids on that night, I was right there. And I would have suddenly jumped out from behind the bush and saved my children and they would have been glad at that point that their dad had followed them around. As it turned out, I wasn't needed. (laughs) But if I would have been, I was there. And, And here's the tragedy. We are so often just like my kids with no clue. Not even having access to it, not knowing. And if something would have happened, they might have thought to themselves, oh no, we're out here all alone. Unable to save ourselves in this predicament, not knowing that their father was actually right there able to help them and assist them. And the spirit is just like that. He's there. And we need to acknowledge that he's there and allow his help to be there for us. As we move into the next section, his ministry. I'm just going to run through these quick. We don't have time to look at all these scriptures this morning. What I want to do is fill in some blanks and I want to give you this charge i want you to go home and study this for yourselves look at these passages look at what the spirit's ministry is in your life it's kind of a cumulative list i haven't been exhaustive for sure so there's more here but at least this will get you started fill in some blanks here what does the spirit do he supplies power and strength he supplies power and strength ephesians 3:16 the next blank he unifies Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. He unifies. Okay, now if I go too fast, just yell and say, what was that one again? He sanctifies or makes holy. He sanctifies or makes holy. He gives life. In fact, he gives life abundantly. He gives gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is all about that. He indwells with his presence, furthering relationship between ourselves and God. 
He indwells with his presence, furthering relationship between ourselves and God. Next one, he intercedes in prayer. Paul tells us that he, with groans, when we have groans too deep for words, the Spirit intercedes between ourselves and God in our prayer life. Next one is he gives encouragement. I think I made a mistake there, but he gives encouragement. The next one is he convicts, John 16, 8. Convicts the world of sin. He communicates from God, Acts 8, 29 and 11, 12. He produces character fruit. Produces character fruit from Galatians 5.22. He seals us, Ephesians 1.13-14. He makes us aware of God and Christ. He makes us aware of God and Christ. John 14.26, he teaches 1 Corinthians 12, 9, he heals. Acts 2, 1 and following, he enables the gospel to be preached. Anybody miss anything? Excellent. Then look at B here. What I've just given you is the kind of cumulative ministry of the Spirit. But I need to give you the big one. Because there's one kind of role that stands behind all others when it comes to the ministry of the Spirit, and it's this. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to mediate to us the presence of Jesus. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to mediate to us the presence of Jesus. A moment ago I had that spotlight on, and it was Curtis that was standing here and not the person of Christ. But even though all the lights are off, when the floodlight comes on, all of a sudden you can see Curtis very clearly. You can see the colors in his shirt. You can see the lines in his shirt. And if he would have had a coffee stain on his pants, you could have seen it. I would have illuminated it very brightly. And that's what the Spirit does. He's like a floodlight. He shows us who Jesus is. He's a witness, not just to the character and nature of Christ, but to everything Christ does in and for humankind. He's our teacher. He's our conduit. He's the one that we that we learn about Jesus from. And he continually teaches the church, showing us who Christ is. And so those last three lines there, he develops personal relationship between ourselves and Christ. He develops personal relationship between ourselves and Christ. He transforms our characters into the character of Christ. He transforms our characters into the character of Christ. He seals us with Christ's presence, bringing about protection and security. Now, if there was ever a sermon that was filled with a lot of content in terms of things for you to look at and to learn, that was it. There's a lot of content there. I know that's the case. And I don't want it to be just sterile content because here's the point. If... We don't learn these things. If we don't understand these things, and and by the way, this is exactly where I think churches of Christ have sometimes been. Sometimes we have not known these things, or we've ignored them. They haven't been as, as much a part of our theology, our understanding, as they need to be. But when they're there, it changes 
everything. Sometimes, because I'm a hunter, I go and shoot a gun. Hunters do that. And I know there are probably people in the audience who are, don't like guns, and you're welcome to not like guns. But sometimes I shoot guns. I have a rifle that I shoot. When you put a brand new scope on a rifle, you're tempted to take that gun. When you put, that, put the scope on it, you're tempted to go out and put a target at 100 yards out and see if you can hit that target and start adjusting the scope so that you can be right on when you shoot. Big mistake. If you take your rifle and you start shooting at 100 yards the first time you put your rifle on the gun, you're probably going to miss the target, even if it's been bore-sided. You're probably going to miss. And so the smart thing to do, what you need to do, is you need to go to 25 yards, not, 20, not 100. And you shoot at 25, and you see how well it hits at 25, and you adjust it so that you've got a pretty good bullseye at 25. Then you go out to 100 yards, and then you know you're going to be on the paper when you shoot at 100 yards. And this is the kind of thing that we have to do with the Holy Spirit. This is pretty basic stuff. This is just pretty basic Bible. A bunch of facts almost about the Holy Spirit. But if you start here, if you start at 25 yards and you get this nailed down, then there's a good chance that when you get out to 100 yards and all of a sudden life begins to run you over, you're going to have a chance to be on the paper. And you may well have it targeted really well without even any adjustment. And so we need to understand the impact the Spirit is supposed to have on our lives, how Scripture communicates the ministry of the Spirit in these basic, rudimentary ways, and then there's a chance for us to go deeper. We can go deeper. And God can minister to us through the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the church the way that He wants to. So please, here's the request, here's the assignment Take the outline home, look at the points and the scriptures, and go through them again and see what the ministry of the Spirit is to be, not just in the life of the church, but in your life. And ask yourself, how is it that the Spirit is ministering to me in my life? Am I open to that? Is it happening? It needs to be. And when it does, God will bless us richly. Let's pray. Holy Father, I want to thank you for the privilege we have of looking at Scripture this morning and the way that you've communicated to us through, through the Spirit in your word about the Spirit. And God, we pray that you'd help us to grow through this, help us to understand, but not just understand. Help us, God, to begin to apply the healing, the understanding the comfort, all the things that come to us with the ministry of the Spirit. Help us to apply those things in our lives in such a way that the church's ministry moves forward. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Let's stand and sing, please.